Hello, and welcome to The Future Report, a podcast hosted by social research company McCrindle for anyone curious about the future. My name is Ashley Fell, and each week I'll be sitting down with a guest to discuss a topic or trend that you need to know about. Welcome to season two of the Future Report podcast. We are delighted to have you joining us for another season as we embark on discussing the latest research, insights and trends for the future. Uh, This season, we're going to have some new guests on the show and we'll be launching lots of new research, which we can't wait to share with you. Uh, So what is in store for today's episode? Well, we're talking about all things Generation Z and what the future of work will look like for today's school leavers. And in case anyone is watching this um, on YouTube or Spotify, you can see that I am at home like millions of other Australians. I've been banished to a time of isolation for a couple of days into a week, so we are still pushing on though with season two of the podcast and joining me today to share his insights about this emerging generation is the generational expert Mark McCrindle. Hello Mark, great to have you back on the Future Report podcast. Even though we're not in the office together, it's still (laughs) great we can do this. Yes, good to be good to be talking generations with you. Absolutely. So we have touched on Gen Z before on the podcast. And for those who may not have come across those episodes before, Generation Z describes those who were born between the years 1995 and 2009. So it puts them today in their mid to late teens and also their mid to late 20s, in fact. Uh, So even I was a little bit shocked when I wrote mid to late 20s for Gen Z. You often maybe don't think about them. You think, oh, they're just the the high school students of today. But no, they're, they're absolutely in their 20s. Some of them are parents even, which is wild to think, I'm sure. And this is the generation that has come of age and been formed, especially, I think, in the last decade. They're they're digital integrators in many ways. Many of them are too young to remember the arrival of digital technology and they've grown up with, and we say in many cases, have been significantly socialized by screen-based devices. And this is the generation of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, even TikTok, probably, especially the younger ones. Uh, And it's a generation who grew up with laptops and iPads being integrated into their schooling and even into their work experience. So a very different generation to my generation, even the one above them, to your generation, Mark, to their parents, to their grandparents. But Mark, when you think about Gen Z, how do you see them being different to the generations that have gone before them? Mm. Well, the context is key to defining who they are because that's in what they've been shaped. And, you know, you mentioned the transformation of the digital and the technological world, and obviously that's been very evident for them. But but the whole economy has been transformed in the last two and a half decades since they have been born. Uh, they, uh, they've they seen the, the professionalization of careers. We're in a knowledge economy. It's office-based uh, work, normally interfacing through technology. In many of their households, we hear that they're the first to go to university, but that's because we've seen a massive increase in the proportion of young people going to university. Almost half of all school leavers will end up with a university qualification at some point in their life, and most of them straight from school. So so they're more likely to go to uni. They're more likely to hold those professional jobs in this knowledge economy. They've got the flexibility, therefore, of a global workforce opportunity and of being pretty empowered in the workforce as they come of age with these 21st century skills in a time of an aging workforce uh, that that is really looking for that new and digital talent. So great opportunities that they have there. They've seen the change in the economy just in terms of rising, particularly living costs and housing costs. And so they're having to think about saving 
for a home, for a deposit, a lot earlier than previous generations and find other ways to fund that. They've seen different ways of work where they can be entrepreneurs and start their own business or be contractors or self-employed, where they are more mobile in terms of where they will work and interact and, uh, and not just you know, global opportunities, but freer to to move across industry and across locales, and uh, and and obviously adapting to lockdowns and and COVID has been something that they've been quite equipped to do. Uh, social trends we've seen uh, they uh, have come of age in a time where we've got uh, a more culturally diverse society where uh, the traditional structures have changed, where they aren't as connected with those community organisations or the traditional uh, membership-based groups where they're interacting digitally and, uh, and, and again, uh, are on a different trajectory, a different pathway to what was normative for their parents. So we see generation gaps emerge between them and their parents uh, just through the, the last two and a half decades of massive change that has shifted demographically, technologically, economically, socially, uh, the landscape in which they're coming of age. They have come of age in a really interesting decade. Um, and then obviously, of course, the last two years that we've experienced with COVID is, of course, going to shape them with the youngest of them being in their teens still and living through that changes to school and also those changes to work as they emerge as the emerging workforce as they come through. So it is a really transformative uh, time that they have been shaped in. And it's, I think it's great everything you shared there, Mark. Uh, something that we haven't touched on yet is the stereotypes that exist about this generation. And I think it's worth stating for the record that there are many stereotypes that exist about young people in general, whatever time or uh, age or year that you were a young person. You know, often these stereotypes of young people fall along the lines of being entitled or naive or lacking respect for elders. Um, for this generation living and being impacted in the time that you've just described, we could probably add some of the stereotypes that we hear, like being addicted to screen-based devices and having high expectations of their work life, uh, we could probably add those to the list. I was curious, Mark, if you could share maybe one, one or two stereotypes or generalizations that you think this generation um, gets gets bagged with. Um, do you think, um, I guess, some of those should be challenged in any way? Any that come to mind for you for Generation Z? Yeah, definitely. You know, those stereotypes are always worth challenging. And sometimes you know, we cling to a perception we have of a group like young people, but we haven't actually tested that or, or actually interacted with them for a while. And so we're still clinging to something we heard about or was anecdotal and turns out to be far from the case today. A classic for me with Generation Z would be that they lack resilience. That's what we've heard for, for some time. And I can remember interacting with a lot of teachers who say, oh, they just don't seem to have the resilience that you know they're going to need for their future. But if we look at just the outcome of how they've been behaving, how they've been responding to these last two or so years of massive change. We have seen resilience writ large in this generation. They adapted very well to online learning, to the shutdown of society as we knew it, to changes in in how they were studying at university or, or what the expectations of their student life was. Keep in mind that they are either at high school or TAFE or, or university, they're, they're largely in those uh, study years or having just moved into employment. We've had some of them who have now been working, having graduated or finished their studies for, for two years and yet have never been in office environment. And yet they've been performing very well. 
we've seen them have to make changes to where they work or how they work or how they interact to up, update or respond on new platforms and technologies as, uh, again, the last two years has thrown up challenges and they've done it almost seamlessly. They've seen massive shifts in uh, property prices, as we discussed, and that Australian dream of home ownership uh, seems ever out of reach. And yet we've seen them not lose hope in that in that goal of having a home. And so they end up working more and saving more and being disciplined in that. So this idea that they're demanding that they uh, don't have the grit and determination that we saw in their grandparents and that they just don't have resilience, I think has been shown to not be the case over the last two years of, uh, of millions of them responding to the massive changes that their world has presented. Yeah, there's so much that they have had to endure and they have done it very well with a lot of class and resilience. Um, and I think as, as all of us have had to deal with those changes, it hasn't been in those formative years like it has been for Generation Z. And yeah, you mentioned there about home ownership and that's one difference even I see. And I think we've touched on it before around the millennials, which is my generation and the stereotypes that exist for us around smashed avo and locked out of the housing market and just that the generation coming after Gen Z have kind of watched that play out and they've gone, okay, we need to maybe shift or we realise that the times are pretty tough with the housing market and our research from last year, this whole big education future report that we conducted all about Generation Z where we surveyed them and asked them heaps of questions about the future of work and uh, what their hopes and desires are and dreams about careers. Their number one um, hope for the future is to own their own home and number two is to have full financial freedom and independence and number three is to excel in their career and I think what that has shown us anyway and what we believe about them is that they are hardworking, they are resilient. So yeah, I think it's always good to challenge some of those stereotypes that do exist about them. And speaking of the future of work, that's kind of what we want to talk about and focus the episode on today is to think about this generation who are still at school in their um, now high school or in study further study like university or TAFE um, they may be already launched in their careers but for most of them they're just starting out and for many leaders and for many educators and even parents and even Gen Z's themselves they're looking at the context that you've just described and going well how do I pick a job how do I pick a career or a pathway that will lead to financial freedom lead to home ownership but also to um, pursuing a life that and, and a life of work that is fulfilling and purpose-driven so I wanted to ask you Mark um, this big question you can draw on some different trends I know there's many that we discuss but when we think about the future of work what trends do you see impacting the future of work particularly for this generation who are the the school leavers of today well every aspect of work is undergoing massive change where we work clearly has been transformed uh, in a work from home environment and just having the ability, the, the flexibility to, to, to work from anywhere and how we work has changed. You know, we, we see now uh, that it's not about set hours and it's not about uh, just hourly based work, but a bit more based on outcomes and, and empowering the employee to get it done based on the expectations, based on the task rather than the time. We see what we do and 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 how we do it change as well using these new platforms and and of course the 
occupation types are continuing to change. New jobs emerging, new sectors, new industries uh, are emerging, and how we interact. A lot more team-based work, and uh, and and a lot more interaction with not only fellow team members, but in a a more hybrid type environment. You've got contractors and externals working together in consortiums to achieve projects and and task outcomes. So it's a very different work environment to the one where we used to head off every day and uh, and work in an office with colleagues nine to five, five days a week. It's, It's quite a different environment. And so preparing this generation for that future, which we've seen a lot of change already, but there's far more to come. Uh, is going to be key so that they can future-proof their own careers and direction, uh, but also you know thrive in that career, enjoy work, keeping in mind that they will live longer than previous generations. They'll be active later and able to work longer in life as well. And so with a longer period spent in employment, it's important that they enjoy that journey of work and uh, and really are able to contribute and they'll be able to in a knowledge economy uh, later in life and really have that passion for it more than we've seen generations past. Mm. And I think when, when it comes to the future of work, something else that I think about Generation Z and the conversations that I often hear are around the future of work being like another sort of a synonym for a phrase, will a robot take my job? There's, I think, a lot of maybe fear that exists among people around the robotics and artificial intelligence and um, automation that is happening in our world. And we, we've seen it over the last few years in supermarkets and airlines, you know, for our everyday consumer experience. And that is trickling and feeding into so many ways of working and will robotics replace the work that humans do? And so, therefore, understanding what skills we need to have uh, to combat that. I feel like that's the question on a lot of teachers or uh, Gen Z parents sort of lips. Um, But I think something else that we often talk about is, you know, in our presentations, we don't just talk about technological trends. We talk about demographic realities as well. And even the fact that the largest employment industries, uh, industries that are projected to have the largest employment growth over the next few years are around healthcare and social assistance, accommodation and food services, professional, scientific and technical services, as well as education and training and construction. So it's not just around uh, robotics and artificial intelligence. We're always going to need some really key human uh, skills to thrive in the future of work. And so hopefully, yeah, our research and, and this podcast can paint a broader picture than just how do I beat a robot out for my job? I mean, do you find that as well when people talk to you, Mark, about the future of work? Yeah, it is a fear that people have, but more older generations, not younger ones. And, Mm. you know, it's often couched in terms of it being a a scary future that robots are going to put people out of jobs. It's true that anything that can be automated will be automated and anywhere there can be the opportunity for robotics, there will be. But if people can be removed from those repetitive tasks, that's a great thing. If we can be replaced by a robot to do a a very structured and unchanging task, then that's fantastic because we don't want people with all of their social skills and creativity and timeless ability to learn to do something that a robot or an automated process can do. What we want to do is put them in a place to do what only people can do, which is that creative thinking, which is uh, thinking outside of the box, which is interacting with other people and, and, and thinking emotively and entrepreneurially and innovatively. 
computers technology by its nature is a repetitive structured and programmed uh, format so so i think it's a fantastic thing if we can move people up the 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 value adding chain and get them out of some of those process tasks and uh, and then we don't need to worry about computers computers and technology is at its best when it's a tool to be used by people to help them uh, in their roles in their jobs and in their productivity uh, it's it's never a, a competitive set where we ought to worry about computers taking over and and so we're seeing you know computers and technology come into all roles uh, but the future for people is very strong in the people interfacing areas in again that creative innovative entrepreneurial and uh, adaptive area that's that's the future for people and they're the most exciting uh, tasks and sectors to be in yeah, I think that's such a great message for school leavers today, for careers advisors, for parents, for educators to just keep that in mind and not get too worried about, yeah, the future of robotics and, and but actually look at the opportunities that that presents. And then, and even the new areas of work that it's opening up for this next generation, for all of us, but this next generation as well. So really important, I think, to um, communicate that message, which we're very passionate about. Uh, another characteristic about Generation Z is that they're going to be a very mobile generation, working across more careers and more jobs than any other generation. And we have a calculation, uh, in fact, and it's one of my probably favorite statistics, like whenever I'm at a barbecue or something and people are like, what's your favorite stat? And it's just, you put on the spot. Um, I always say this one, that a school leaver today is predicted to have 18 jobs across six careers in their lifetime. And maybe I choose that stat because it's like a bit of a shock factor. Everyone's like 18 jobs, no way. Like I was actually talking about this to my cousin recently um, when we're on holidays and he's like, no, like that's not true. And I'm like, well, think about how many jobs you've had or how many career careers you've had. And he was like talking about, it. he's like, wait, I've already had you know, five or six, and I'm I'm a, I'm not even a Gen Z. I'm older than that. You know, so I think it's a really interesting stat, um, one that shocks a lot of people, and one that we get asked about a lot, Mark. So, for the record, could you explain that stat for people, and just if people have maybe questions, you know, how do we come to that uh, calculation? What are we considering? What you know constitutes a job or career? Uh, any insights there to share for people who might be. Yeah, shocked by that stat? Mm, sure. Well, it's a fairly simple calculation and it comes from data that hasn't changed very much of recent years. And that is that we have an annual voluntary turnover rate, average across all industries, careers and age groups of about 15%. So that means about 15% of the workforce will change jobs voluntarily every year. Now, in some years, like this particular period of time, it's going to be higher than that. We're talking about the great resignation, as people are saying, you know, a bit over my job, been stuck in it, not connecting with colleagues. Um, I haven't wanted to move because it's been a bit uncertain for the last couple of years, but now I'm going to. And in, in a year like this, it might up, be up to 20% or so, but 15% is about normal. You get a couple of percent on top of that that's involuntary turnover. Companies go through restructures, there are redundancies, jobs come to an end, which is not the choice of the employee, but that's a small proportion. Most uh, of the of people leaving jobs comes at the volition of the employee. But that's probably about 18, maybe up to 20% turnover in total per annum. That's, that's the starting point. What that means is that if about 18% move this year, in two years, you've got about 36%, about a third of the workforce have moved. 50% of the workforce move, therefore, within just under three years. And so that gives us the average national tenure. So if we think about it, different workplaces that we know, uh, about half the employees have been there longer than three years, about half have been there less than three years. Now, if that three-year average tenure 
average length of time per job uh, plays out consistently in the lifetime of this younger generation, Generation Z. And based on them starting their work at about 20, I mean, they might have part-time jobs before that. Some might finish uni and then get their role. But by 20, people normally have had a role or two, but certainly into their first. Uh, we we will, if we project forward about 50 or so years when they're getting to retirement, we'll see them working well into their 70s, probably mid for some, late 70s or beyond, but let's, let's call it around the mid 70s. What it means is your average Gen Z is going to have about 54, 55 years in the workforce from when they start roles to when they end their roles at three years per job. You multiply that out and that's 18 separate jobs that they will have in their lifetime as we project that forward based on the average voluntary turnover. Now, the turnover is actually higher uh, when people are younger. They move a bit more frequently. When we're a bit older, we tend to stay in jobs a bit longer. But but three years per job on average over those 54 or so years of work gives us 18 jobs in our lifetime. And, uh, and that'll be the case for Generation Z. And every three or so jobs... Uh, the the occupation has changed so much. The the employment structure, maybe it was employee, now we're a few jobs on, we're a contractor or we're independent or we're running our own business or something else. Maybe it's just the sector we're in has changed so much across those roles that we're in a, a new career. And so every three or so jobs, we say probably in a new career. And so that's 18 separate jobs in their lifetime across six separate careers is the forecast for Generation Z based on the data that we see today. Now, if anything, it's probably going to increase beyond that. But at the minimum, we can say we can expect that sort of variety or or, or um, experience across roles and careers for Generation Z in the years ahead. Mm, it is... Um a really, really helpful explanation of that statistic. And one, again, that I just love sharing in presentations because uh, I feel like everyone kind of goes wide-eyed. They're like, whoa. And then you look to the employers who you're presenting to and they're like, are you serious? Every three years, my staff are going to change. And yeah, that's something that we've been talking about. Like you mentioned, Mark, the great resignation. And I think the other side of that is what we call the great retention. And the fact that employers need to be aware that this generation coming through aren't afraid to change jobs. If the job or the work isn't meeting their needs and that's probably extends beyond Gen Z in, in light of, you know, the last two years and the reprioritization that we've experienced. But people um, in this generation are very empowered to go, well, if it's not suiting my needs, I'll find work elsewhere or I'll try a different style of work, like you mentioned, or the gig economy or start my own business. Like they're just a very entrepreneurial um, mindset that this generation has for mm. many different reasons. And it is an interesting concept to think about I was actually speaking to a family friend when we were on holidays recently and asking her, she's in going into year 11 um, at school and asking her about like what, she, what subject she's chosen. And I kind of had to stop myself by saying like, what do you want to do when you leave school? Like what, what job do you want to have? And I was like, no, no, like that's a lot of pressure for a young person today. There's so many options and I know the research and I know that. So and I know they're going to have lots of different jobs. It's not career for life anymore. It's not what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a really hard question for a school leaver today. Um, and I think we often say it's no longer career for life. It's skills for life. And mm. it's that idea that it's not just one career or one job. It's multiple jobs across multiple careers, which hopefully, again, can not be too daunting, but if anything is exciting and has lots of opportunities. And when we think about those skills then that this generation do need if the future of work is is changing and this generation are changing jobs more frequently, 
that is a question that we're often asked about the skills that we believe are important for this generation to future-proof their careers. And you alluded to some of those a couple of questions ago around creativity and innovation and those uniquely human distinctively human characteristics where we can respond to specific contexts, where we can be creative, where we can interact with others, we can have empathy, all the things that robotics and machines can't do, um, have empathy and leadership and creativity, uh, collaboration, the, the ability to have resilience. I think these are some of the skills that we talk about. Um, any other skills, Mark, that, that you have that come to mind that you feel like it's important for young people today to maybe focus a bit of their time and energy on? Yeah, well, that's a great list of those competencies. I would add to that communication skills. That's going to be key, whether it's spoken or written, whether it's uh, communicating with colleagues or clients, but the ability to articulate in message-saturated and time-poor eras, that's going to be key. The ability to think like an entrepreneur, to think like a manager, to, to operate like you're the owner of the business is going to be key because we are far more decentralized and people have to be in charge of their own area. They have to bring results and not just think of themselves as a cog in the wheel. So that independence and creative thinking, that that entrepreneurial thinking is going to be key. And also with all the competencies, the character skills or character qualities are going to be key. Uh, the fortitude, the resilience we discussed, the right attitude, uh, the, the respect uh, of others, the the ethics and integrity, uh, the hard work, uh, all of those are, are key. As employees often find, they hire on the skills, uh, but then when there's an issue, they end up firing because of the character issues. And if we've got the character side, we can learn the skills, we can upskill at any point. So character is going to be so key to develop for these young people for their future. And 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 they've got it already. I mean, you know, this, this data around turnover and three years per job, it can paint a picture of a generation that can't stick it out, that are always looking around for the next thing. But the, we say to employers, you know, why have them leave to, to get variety in another place? Why not just keep an eye on them and offer them the next job, the second, the third, the fourth job within the one organization? In other words, develop them, show them a career pathway, broaden their skill set, empower them to take on a new role within the organization. It's not that they're just finding it tough and moving on or having a blow up with peers and, and, and moving on. Far from it. You know, we've found with this generation, this gets back to the stereotype myth busting, uh, that, that not only do they show resilience, but they show a good attitude to be able to roll with the challenges and the upsets. Uh, I mean, think about just the last couple of years, they've, they've missed out on 16th birthdays or 18th or 21st, they've missed out on year 12 final days and graduations and schoolies and, and gap years, overseas experiences and travel and backpacking, all the stuff that used to be coming of age milestones. For two years, most of them haven't had those experiences and they've rolled with it. They've said, well, that's the time we're in. That's life. They've showed incredible resilience, positive attitude, the ability to cope and to move forward uh, with good faith in the future and with, with a positive approach and support of others. So, so I think they've got the right stuff. And if we can harness that and, and develop the character and enhance those competencies uh, we can get better tenure from them in our organisations and what's more, empower them to make a big difference uh, in wherever they will be working into their future. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I really do feel for 
you know, this generation, those coming of age um, moments that all of us look back, many of us look back fondly on. I'm sure many parents, though, are thankful maybe that school is didn't happen maybe for their kids. <laughs> but um, some of those other, you know, cele- celebratory moments where you stop and realize that you celebrate high school and all those moments they haven't had. But then the, the inverse of that is hopefully that it has, like you said, built this element of resilience for them um, and how to cope with tough times, which we know are always going to come up in business, in our own life, um, and even in their working life. So that's, I think, a really good um, quality, hopefully, that that's, that this situation, this context has formed for them. And I love what you were saying there, Mark, and we often talk about this even in our presentations around a shift away from, in education, the foundation, a focus just on foundational literacies, which is sort of how students apply core skills to everyday tasks, and a shift onto a focus as well as on those things, on the competencies, and it's how students approach complex tasks, but also on the character qualities that you mentioned um, and how students approach their changing environment. And I think we are seeing a shift in, and we have seen a shift in the education sector with regards to that. Um, Are there other other shifts that you think schools or universities are currently or maybe should be making that will accommodate for this changing context uh, that Generation Z are stepping into and even the fact that it is a, a different generation coming through these education um, contexts? Yeah. I think one of the key things that we need to see more from in the university sector and schools as well is practical learning, getting them ready for this future. The vocational sector does it well. TAFEs do well that real world. You know, it's not just the theoretical world that they're learning, but they're often doing an apprenticeship or practical um, experience as part of that course. And if universities can bring that in, that's great. Because what we don't need is more theoretical knowledge. We need practical experience. And all of us that have graduated from university know that, that we come out with lots of head knowledge, but we hit the job and so much of that we never really find application for. The more universities can encourage internships and placements and a sandwich type degree where you get that experience, or maybe it's just up to the students themselves to to make some of those placements happen, uh, the better they will be equipped for the future. One of the best things that young people can do while they're studying uh, a degree or, or, or in higher education is, is to have a job. And it almost doesn't matter what that job is. It doesn't have to be in the field. But if you're learning to respond to an employer, work with colleagues, deal with customers and respond to difficult situations, solve problems and communicate with others, that is that is the stuff of the future of employment. That's what they're going to need and might as well learn it at 18 or 19 or 20 then wait till you know, we're well into a career. So, so I think the more education can bring in the practical, the better it'll equip this generation for the future. What we don't need is students to stay longer and longer on that learning conveyor belt. Uh, the cost of living, the cost of studying are such now that they do need to get out and start to earn and start to pay their way and start to provide and serve back to society that has given them the privilege of that study uh, so that they can make a contribution to others and to their own lives. And that comes normally through work and work experience. So the more of that, uh, the better I think they'll be. Yeah. And it's it's really fascinating. I think I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Mark, on whether you agree that I feel like there's been a shift even in the the tenure I've had at McCrindle and researching this topic and um, education versus 
um, or I guess vocational education versus university and what pathways are best for a school leaver today. And for a long time, I remember even for, for me when I was going through high school, it definitely felt like there was a lot of pressure to go to university. That was the successful pathway that was highly coveted. But then so many of my um, cohort went to university. I was thinking if it's so highly coveted, but we're all coming out with a degree, how do you set yourself apart from another graduate? Um, and yeah, you're right in terms of the practical skills that we need Um I guess, graduates from whatever next step of education they move into, they need to have that in this world. I mean, I think there might be a shift happening. We've seen that in some of our research where there's less pressure from, and it was often from the parents, uh, from parents, I guess, from of previous older generations going university. To be successful, you need to go to uni. Do you think that conversation might be shifting? Yeah, it is shifting. Uh, and I think it's great to see, you know, university is not the only thing and, and university straight from school is not the only pathway either. Uh, in fact, as such is the, the opportunities now, the pathways for mature age students or to move from vocational study into uni or to maybe start a career and then, and then enter as a mature age student with a bit of recognition of prior learning or credit for the experience in the work. And I think that's great. Often, and, and when we've I've, and many um, have done um, some postgraduate studies, we, we often find that more helpful than the undergrad because you've got a lot more real-world experience that you bring to the study. And in a lot of ways, you appreciate it more uh, than when you're 18 or 19 and you trudge off to uni. Uh, the other uh, thing is that it's that uh, work experience or that job role that we have uh, that is the great teacher. You know, what you learn in those early roles matters more than what you earn. It's it's mm-hmm. the great um, school of, of, of life. And and indeed, it's the key factor for success. We did a lot with big data and there was an, a, a uni we were doing some work with and um, they shared some big data studies they looked at. You know, key for universities is destination studies to find out the success of students. And they looked at all of the backgrounds of their students. They looked at the courses they studied, the results. They were trying to find what led to secure employment? What is the predictive factor that is most likely to lead to career success? And they found that it wasn't the course or the results. It wasn't the background. It wasn't the particular uh, faculty they came from or even the degree, but it was whether they had a job during university. That was the one correlation to ongoing employment success that they found. So, so you know, it's not about the particular brand of the uni anymore. I think in Australia, um, that's that's not a big deal. It's not even the, the the actual course because a lot of them are general degrees that set us up for more fine tuned uh, graduate study afterwards. But whether we're learning and applying it, whether we're making contributions and 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 uh, having those roles in the real world, that I think is going to be a great uh, positioner for uh, for a career and for developing young people. Yeah, and I think hopefully that pressure that school leavers today feel is hopefully lessening and it might be a thing of the past in terms of I have to go to uni. Because I remember a lot of people I knew, they would finish with a degree and then they go, I don't really know what I want to do with this. And that's a pretty big time investment, money investment, starting your earning years with a debt. And that's not a bad thing necessarily if you're going to use that education, um, but it is a big um, cost in, in many ways um, to just do a university degree that you might not know exactly what you want to do with. Um, but also then I guess the other side of that is we do need, I think one of the other skills that this generation will do well to have is the ability to be lifelong learners because 
So many of us will have to plug back into education, whether that's at university or TAFE, whether it's hopefully a short course that might not be too expensive, but just because the nature of work is changing and the skills we need are changing. So it's not just Gen Z, but all of us need to have that sort of lifelong learning ability and that love of learning. So um, that's something else I think that a, a Generation Z today would do well to keep in mind. But Mark, any final tips or advice uh, for this generation in terms of we've talked about the skills and the education sector changing and the mobility that they're going to experience probably in their working life. Um, I wanted to ask you on for the final question of today's podcast around any advice you have for this generation, either speaking directly to them or perhaps uh, to them through their parents or educators who are leading them about future-proofing their career or work life. Well, I think a key point is thinking about one's purpose, you know, where you really want to make a contribution, what you're really passionate about, uh, what lights the fire in your belly. Because if we're talking about half a century of work ahead, you've got to be passionate about it. Now, not every job is going to fill us every day with joy and excitement. Uh, we've all got to do those tough jobs to pay the bills. We've all got to do the mundane tasks in a job that we even love. Uh, so it's it's not everyday excitement and, and passion, but we've at least got to be clear on the impacts we want to make, on what matters in life, and uh, and and hone a, a direction towards that. If all that we're doing is finding a job that's got good employment security or pays well or maybe happens to line up with uh, what the career advisor said I should do, what my parents want me to do, <laughs> we're probably not going to stick with it, probably not going to be too passionate about it. But where we can line up what we're passionate about doing with what we can be well trained to do and that lines up with with a job what we can be paid to do then uh, then you've you've lined up three pretty important things but but the passion you know the contribution what we're motivated around where we want to make a difference or have an impact uh, is a key aspect of the equation not just thinking purely pragmatically around where is uh, what course did I get into and and where is there a job going in that field uh, that might get us started and often you want to get a bit of movement and then you can work out whether you like it or not as they often say you know you can't steer a still ship a ship has to be going somewhere before you can tack this way or that get started don't sit around uh pontificating for, for 10 years what am i passionate about get started but but i would say to young people uh do think about what you're passionate about and keep edging towards that and carve out a career that you um you can contribute to for a long period of time and it's that consistent service and contribution in the one direction that really builds a lifetime of of change and impact and and that makes uh, a work life um well worth the investment yeah, and I think that's some great advice as well for also um, employers in in terms of people who are leading or responsible for managing uh, this generation in terms of in the workforce, uh, remembering that they are looking to work with purpose. And if you can make sure that your workplace is motivating, that there is a, a key sense of why people are coming to work every day and doing the tasks that they are doing, connecting that to something that motivates them can also be a great way to not only attract Gen Z to the workplace, but also retain them for longer than maybe three years, hopefully, uh, in terms of their tenure there. And 
yeah, I think that's great advice. I would totally agree with it. And my piece of advice for any Gen Zs listening is just to not be too anxious or worried if you don't know what you want to do. I just think that's something that uh, so many of this generation um, don't don't know. There's so many more jobs and options and, and fields of study to consider. Um, but like you said, Mark, picking something or, or even a subject or a course that you are interested in, that you find passion in or purpose in um, is a great starting point. And then there's lots of doors and, and ways to move around um, in this very mobile career world that all of us are living in, but that Generation Z are just sort of entering in. So very exciting times, very different world that they are being shaped in, but an exciting one nonetheless. Uh, so thank you, Mark, for the chat today. It's been um, very inspiring, very motivating, hopefully very informative um, for anybody who is leading um, or who is of this emerging generation. So thanks, Mark. Thanks so much, Ash. And if anyone is uh, curious about finding out more about Generation Z or about the future of work, we have heaps of resources on our website, which is mccrindle.com. So if you head there, search, type in in the search function, uh, Gen Z or future of work, there'll be lots of resources there that you can delve into and hopefully find very interesting. And if you're enjoying uh, this episode of the podcast, this new season that we're about to embark on, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Um, as always, we know that reviews are pretty hard to come by and we really do try them and I personally um, as I've said before I do read every single one and to stay up to date with our latest insights you can also follow us on social media um, and engage with us through that platform so once again thank you for listening um, and very excited to delve into other topics we have for this next season so thanks very much and bye for now